children of God called to be saints, what beautiful things we've already heard and sung. As we hear it in that call from John chapter 10, as we hear it in the wonder of singing Psalm 23, as we hear this call of wonder, not just a Christmas blessing in Isaiah chapter 40, but also now this call to rest. That on this day of rest that we've been given, we get to pause and consider his care for us. Certainly children, many of you have memorized those words of Psalm 23. The Lord is, that, that statement, that trust, that confession. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still, beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. It speaks of his action in every way. That he isn't just a good shepherd because that's what he says. He is a good shepherd because of what he does. He shows himself to be good and kind and faithful always. And so this certainly is fodder enough for us to consider, to think about, and to be thankful for more often. In fact, I would say even as we talked of that image of the cross this morning, the beautiful picture in our minds of a shepherd and, and what he does and what he affords to us is so very sweet to, to us no matter our age. We love how the Father cares for us. We're thankful for how Jesus Christ takes that up in his life. I am the good shepherd. And so he continues that work before us of, of showing us what that love is, what that compassion is, doing all things for the life and salvation of his sheep, continuing to gather that flock together to himself in his grace and in his love. And so all of these things are beautiful and true. Any number of them are what you've already heard. But then you pause and say, but what does all of that have to do with Lent? What does that have to do with considering the suffering of our Savior? What, what does that have to do with, with coming to the end of his life? I mean, those are comforting pictures. But, but what we enter into now in terms of that commemoration, in terms of that thought, well, these are hard things. These are difficult things. They seem at the first discordant. But the problem is that too often we approach our commemoration, our celebration of, of Good Friday and Easter, of all the suffering of Christ throughout his life, but especially at the end, losing sight of this proper context. Why is he doing what he's doing? Why has he come to live this? Why has he come to die this? Because I am the good shepherd. Because you are my sheep. You are my flock. That our God and Savior remains even through his suffering and death and resurrection as that shepherd doing all of it and accomplishing all things to care for us and to provide that salvation for us even as we know that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So that they, that we, that all of us together, gathered by that same God and Father, that same loving Savior, would be brought in love and life to be and remain with him forever. And so as we begin this series that will lead us then all the way to Good Friday and to Easter and a little bit beyond that, we need to consider the Savior's gory death within time. We, we have to consider his glorious resurrection. 
But through all of it, we need to be thankful for the grace of knowing that context. The why. Why has he done all of these things for us? Well, we know the reason. We know the love of a God who will do all things to care for us as his people, to provide for us and to pasture us and to protect us, even like a shepherd. And it's context and truth then that many of you, and I'm thankful that a number of you are lovers of music, whether making it or singing it, it's context and truth that is sung about in the Messiah, which if you don't know is an oratorio written by George Friedrich Handel. And so the first part of that oratorio is why oftentimes the Messiah is celebrated or sung, the celebration of it at Christmas. Here is the promise in the Old Testament of the Messiah. Here is the birth of the Messiah, the joy and wonder of that which he will do. And then the second part, after intermission, always becomes again that move towards the suffering, towards Good Friday and the glories of Easter. And yet part one closes with the two texts that we considered this evening. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. These things talked about not after his death and resurrection, but before. He shall feed his flock. His yoke is easy. They are promises that the Christ makes and provides before taking up that great suffering, especially at the end, enduring all of these things in the never-changing reality of who he is and how he serves and the nature in which he serves as well. For such stuff provides us then such a wonder, a blessed opportunity to know more of that fuller context and its call, that in coming to know who we are as unworthy, rebellious, and stubborn sheep, we might marvel all the more in the wonder, the wonder of what he's given, the wonder of what he's promised, and what's provided for us in the suffering and the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we look to that life of suffering and cross, We're going to see this is how he has cared for. This is how he feeds his flock. And so in giving us a light and easy yoke, what he is really saying is I give you a great salvation. And in bearing that cross, I will care for you. Not because of anything you have done, but in all that I do to lay down my life for you, even as I take it up again to give you life forevermore. So we listen to the voice of our good shepherd tonight. That's our task of hearing what he will do and what he will give. And so we listen to the shepherd's proclamation. That's in verses 9 and 10 of Isaiah 40. We hear it in that shepherd's description in Isaiah 40 verse 11. And then in a shepherd's invitation in verses 28 and 29. A proclamation, a description, and an invitation. But it's a proclamation. Here is what I have come to accomplish. From the mouth of Isaiah, here is what he will accomplish. And so it's the beauty in listening again to the prophetic tone here is that this is good as done. This will happen because God has promised it. And so I want you to go and I want you to proclaim something that is yet to happen that for us as Christians has happened and we have in full waiting final promises And I want you to go proclaim it. I want you to proclaim it as truth. I want you to proclaim it as gospel and as hope. 
And I want you to be about that proclamation together. And so there's much already, if your Bibles are open still in Isaiah 40, there's already much proclamation that's happened in chapter 40. He says, look again at verse 2, he proclaims, your sin is forgiven. In verses 3 through 5, he proclaims again the promise, I am coming. This is sure to be. And then in verses 6 through 8, he's saying, my word is never going to fail. I will follow through for you. And so already the, the believer has great confidence, the prophet in the same. I know this shepherd and what he is speaking. That we will have everything that we need and more than that in him. But how quickly Israel forgets. It's why Isaiah needs to proclaim it again. How easily do we forget? Again and again, it's, it's the joy and the blessing of the Lord's day. I'm going to bring you near myself again and again, week after week after week, to proclaim to you in many ways the same thing every week. Different words, different texts. But I'm going to continue to bring you before who I am and what I'm going to do and what I have promised. That's what they needed to keep hearing. That's what we need to keep hearing as we approach our celebration of the cross and of the resurrection. And so that's also then what we need to keep speaking and proclaiming on his behalf and for his glory. And so children, as you hear those first words of, of Isaiah 40 verse 9, you start hearing, go tell it on a mountain. Over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And so we sing that in this connection back to Isaiah 40 because the prophet is proclaiming something that is sure to be. That he can speak in confidence of saying, I know this will happen. In fact, it's already there in the verbiage that the prophet uses in the Hebrew. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. O you people, O Zion, the gathered people, not just here in Jerusalem, but all of my people over all times. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. You who are here in this place of my presence, this where I have chosen to dwell, be heralds. Be announcers, be proclaimers of good news. That this good shepherd's proclamation, not only of what he's spoken, but what he gives us to speak and shout out and lift up, is gospel. It's good news of hope. It's good news of peace. It's good news of deliverance. But it's heralded. Because you don't herald something that you don't know if it's going to happen. Typically, you wouldn't herald something that hasn't already happened. And God, in speaking the word to the prophet, and now for us on this side of the cross saying, get up and lift up your voice, for them, it's the prophetic perfect. This will happen. There is no doubt. For us, this has happened. There is no doubt. It's why we celebrated year after year after year. So herald that. Lift it up. Fear not. Proclaim this word. This is who I am. This is what I've done. Why wouldn't you speak that? 
unless we're having a hard time understanding that he is good. Or that we're struggling in life at this point to say, I know a good shepherd. Do you know my suffering and hurt? Because he says he's good and I shall not have want, but there are lots of wants and there are lots of needs and I'm not sure how those are going to be met. And his leading, my life is so messed up right now and it's so broken and it's not anything that I had intended or thought. It doesn't even look good. All it seems like is valley. And you say you are with me, but it's super dark and I don't know what's going on. And so that isn't to say there isn't tension. But even in the midst of that, that first verse of Psalm 23 doesn't stop. This understanding of of the truth of what's there hasn't changed. Lift it up, fear not. This has happened. My word is for you. It is sure to be. So don't be quiet about it. Don't clam up about it. Certainly don't be ashamed of it. Don't be confused by it. Don't doubt it. That in lifting it up and speaking it again, is the reminder to us in those sorrows. This is sure to be. And my experience of these things may not seem like that right now, but the Lord is my shepherd. And this is what he's promised. And so I will believe it. And not only will I, but as a testimony that I speak to all others, as a herald of good news, this is sure to be. Then in a sense, you could translate that, be good newsing. That's what being a herald is. Because it's power. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's why we lift it up. That's why we fear not. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Because we have a message of good news that changes hearts and changes lives. And that's why we proclaim this. And that's why sometimes kids, pastor gets fired up and talks way too fast and probably needs to breathe. We have good news. We have a message of life from death. We have a message of light in the midst of darkness. We have a message of hope in the midst of people who are wondering, is there anything to hope in and is there any truth? And so what do we say? What do we speak in terms of that good news? Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. See him. See him at work. Be those who are good newsing. Speak the truth and wonder of the gospel. And so as much as he's proclaiming this and giving it to us that we would proclaim it to others, hear it. Are you seeing? And instantly, what do we do? Oh, come behold your God. And so we start talking about sunsets and stars and all of these things. Creation is great. First beautiful book. But you have more. You have way more. Come and see what your God has done. Come and see the wondrous works according to his steadfast promises. And that's the next two beholds. You get to see more than just the creative works of God. You've been given something more to herald. He is feeding you with more than that. Come and behold the works of the Lord, all you nations. Verse 10, behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. 
Come and behold the works of the Lord, the sovereign, the one who rules over all things, the one who works through providence in every way, the one who is king over all. Come behold him. The order you take for granted, the provision you take for granted, the seed time and harvest you take for granted, the salvation that we take for granted, the good news that we take for granted. Come, the Lord comes with might. That's how he redeems his people. That's how he's always done it. He comes with might in the truth for the patriarchs. He comes in might to deliver his people in the exodus. He comes with might to deliver them again from the exile. He's coming. And it's still how he works. And his arm rules for him. It is in the power of his might to do so. That as much as it is not in our power to bring anything about, the good shepherd can bring all things about. And can continue to do all that he speaks. And so we behold it in his word. We behold it in redemptive history. But I want you to hold on to this part of the proclamation because we proclaim that wonder of what do we behold God in? What do we behold the power of the gospel in this proclamation in? Look around you. Look at every person here who proclaims their faith and professes their faith in Almighty God and in our Savior Jesus Christ. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. That you could translate this, the wage he is earned is with him and his reward accompanies him. That's you. That's you by faith in Jesus Christ. He has you. There is nothing that will separate you from his love. There is nothing that will remove it from you. No power, no principality, no anything. You are His. Look at it and see it. You are His wage. You are His reward. You are why He has worked and has been working and will continue to work to the last day and forever. It is you. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ, that's why the Savior came to live and die and rise For you, yes, for the glory of the Father, but for you. And that's what we get to proclaim. Behold it. See it. Notice it. Look at it. See it in everything. This is what the shepherd is doing. This is his purpose in your midst. So get up and tell somebody about it. And talk about that. This is what this God has done in me and in these people that he's gathered me with. And I'm so thankful for his body and for his church because it is a testimony that every word of the proclamation is true. That's what he's speaking. That's what he's calling us to speak together. Behold the Lord. Behold him as Lord. Behold him as Savior. Behold him as King Behold him as shepherd. And then tell. Tell them what he looks like. Tell them how, what he acts like. Share with them, the, even as he shares with us, the description of the shepherd and that in the second place. Because these are not just 
as we go in verse 11, these are not just actions that he takes or, or personality traits. This, this is his nature. This is what the good shepherd is. It's what he does, but, but he is. And he is faithful. That good shepherd will do what he has promised. He will fulfill all that he has proclaimed. And what will that look like? What will that faithfulness to a united church look like? To the good work that he has begun and the good news that he will fulfill? He's going to be a shepherd. He's going to keep on keeping on and being a shepherd. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He's going to protect his own. He's going to give his general care in every way. He's going to continue to watch for the needs of those that he loves. That there is nothing happening in your life that he's surprised by. There's nothing going on that's outside of his arm, outside of his control. There's nothing in the midst of that that he can't provide, that he can't do. He's going to continue to be faithful to what he's promised. To tend them like a shepherd who does all things for the sheep. Who leads the sheep, who comforts the sheep, who provides the sheep who protects the sheep, who disciplines the sheep. He'll be faithful to all of it. But it isn't just a job description. It isn't just something done in, in coldness or in, in duty and responsibility. He will gather the lambs in his arms. But the beauty here in comparing this verse to the other verses is that this word arm that we've translated for some reason here, arms, is still singular. So the arm by which the Lord is personified in terms of his power, here now he's saying in his proclamation, I'm going to gather you in that. I'm going to gather you in that power. That nothing, no creative thing, no redemptive thing, is able to stand against the power of his arm. And he says, that's how I care for you. That's how I provide for you. That's how I'm a blessing to you. The same power by which he rules, he uses to bring you out and to bring you near. To bring out that people from every tongue and tribe and nation and to gather them into one people, into one church. He's going to be faithful to build it by way of the power of that arm. He's going to be faithful to sustain it by the same. And yet it gets better. He will carry them in his bosom. That here, children, you could use the term, and, and some of you are, are much better 4-H'ers than I ever was. I, I didn't get to be one, but weaknesses and upbringing. But, but there's that sense where when you've raised those lambs and, and maybe you fold your T-shirt a little bit and you're, you're carrying it, right? And so there's a, a, a gentleness to it. There's a love that you show. There's a pride that I see in each of you when you hold and you show them off. Here is the Lord saying, I'm going to carry you as close to my heart as I can. Because you're my love and you're my joy and you're my pride. You are so precious to me that I've given all things for you. I will give even my own life for you. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to leave you to yourself. I'm not going to neglect you. No, I can't. 
It's like the Lord saying, how could I forget you because you're engraved in the palms of my hands? I can't. I won't. And he will gently lead those that are with young. That in bringing us near to his heart in the fullness of his love and grace, he's going to be compassionate and patient with us. Because those of you who have raised lambs know that you have to be that. Right? Any kind of sheep, any kind of goat, really any kind of animal. Sometimes any kind of young child even, which is maybe why we call them kids. We have to be compassionate. We have to be patient. We have to be firm. We have to use discipline when we need to. Rod and staff are a comfort to us. But he's compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and steadfast and abundant love and tender mercies. And so all of this description is who he is. And so when we hear a song, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall tend his flock like a shepherd. Why would we have any reason to doubt it? His word is true. He says to proclaim it. He says to know it. And more than that, he's shown it. Here is the Christ who has come and has shown the uttermost bit of tending and gathering and carrying and leading. It's the description of Jesus. There amongst his people, a good shepherd who's faithful. Even as he says in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one can remove us from him. Is that a comfort to you? In the wonder that no matter where your life is found right now, and some of those things are hard and difficult, I have good news to proclaim, which also means I have good news to hold on to, but Jesus isn't going to change. And he's shown that to me in being a faithful shepherd who, who laid down his life for the sheep. Who is the gate? Who is the way? And who is good in every one of those ways? And so if we are his wage, if we are his great reward, if we're always going to accompany him, then we're called even in these words of Isaiah, but also of Matthew, to a great invitation. And it's what I want to close with tonight in this third point. And so if you've been looking at Isaiah 40, you can flip over to Matthew 11, and, and that's where we're going to land tonight. Because now the faithful shepherd has come in the book of Matthew. And he has shown himself in all of these ways, outside of that death of the cross yet, to be faithful and kind, to be exactly who he says, to be the one who has been faithfully proclaimed. And the faithful and good shepherd then here provides the most beautiful invitation that might be found in the scriptures. And so the faithful and good shepherd invites you to four things tonight if you're taking notes. And the first is this, the faithful and good shepherd invites you to come. Come, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. All of you who are working to exhaustion. 
All of you who are seeking to carry far more than you were ever made to bear. Come to me. And the beauty here in terms of that work, that, that word of work or of laboring, is the connection back to Isaiah 40. Who has done the work? Behold the arm of the Lord. Behold what he has done as Lord and Savior. And it says, who has his wage? He does. And who has earned that reward? He has. So he's saying to you, why do you keep living in a way that you think you're earning it? Why do you keep laboring for things that do not satisfy? Why do you keep running around in such a way when I never asked you to? Why are you continuing to build things that I never asked you to? Come to me. He's earned the way. His reward is us. You don't earn that. You don't work to have that. So stop it. We get so wound up in our rule following, in our Pharisaism. And he says, come to me and find rest. In some ways, it's come to me and give a rest. <laughs> but come and find rest. Because a faithful and good shepherd invites you to that. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You're not bringing him anything other than your sin. And he says, I will give it to you. And so here comes that wonder of the fulfillment of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have all I need in him. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It is his arm. And so if I'm going to continue trying to jump out of that thinking I've got something greener, he's going to make me lay there. And it will be good. He leads me beside still waters. Because if he doesn't, I can't drink. And I won't receive what I need. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for his glory. And that's what we get to rest in. Not in what I've provided, not in my good works, not in that which I build for myself, not in anything else other than him. Because all I have in him is him. And so the faithful good shepherd invites you then third to learn learn man we're stubborn sheep <laughs> and he keeps having to come back to it it's why we need to faithfully proclaim it it's why we need to faithfully live it and give testimony to his arm and so here we learn three b words learn his burden verse 29 take my yoke upon you and learn from me he's saying i have it but I want you to give me control. Let your life give testimony to my control over it. Show that in the way that you live. I want you to continue to work in me that which is pleasing to you. I, I want you, Lord, to work in me in such a way that my life testifies that I am resting, resting in your promise and in your completed work for me.
And how is that going to be seen? In a way of love. First John 5, by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and hear this, and his commandments are not burdensome. He's not laying a burden on you of salvation because Christ has lived that for you. But the burden then is love. This is the way. This is what he wants for you. His yoke upon you is love me and love neighbor. His yoke is to continue to live out of the love of Christ. And so, Lord, may your service and may the service of others in love, may all of it be yours. Learn his burden, but also then learn his beauty. Learn the beauty of your shepherd. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's the center of the verse. It's the heart, really, of who Christ is. I am gentle. I am kind. I am compassionate. I deal with you not as your sins deserve, but according to my mercy. I am lowly in heart. I have humbled myself even to being here and proclaiming this to you. And I will humble myself to every bit of this suffering. And I will humble myself even to the point of death on a cross. I've humbled myself taking on your flesh. I've humbled myself leaving the glory of the Father in heaven for you. It's the most beautiful compassion. While we were yet sinners, he dies for us. And so, Lord, may my heart be as yours. That as you invite me to draw near to yours, as you gather me close to yours, may I live and may I gather others near to that in winsomeness, in the beauty of that same compassion. Learn his burden, learn his beauty, and learn his blessing. Take my yoke, learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and now, and you. And you will find rest for your souls. It's a sure thing. As plain as the nose on your face, that's the thing. You have confidence. You will have it. And so what he is saying is come to the good shepherd. Learn this. That your life would be wholly bound up in mine as my life has wholly been given for you. Which means we have to learn the last thing. And really it's more of the final invitation of these words in Matthew 11. Because the faithful and good shepherd invites you to trust. To trust. And that's the power and perhaps for us the struggle of verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light hear it again, it is easy. Not will be, not might be in the future, not if you do the... This is. Because of who I am, because of the word that I speak. Because he is the one who does all things for our salvation, not you. Why can we trust that? Hear it, Christian, because he held nothing back. I am the good shepherd. 
John 10, verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That is how he feeds his flock, tends his flock as a shepherd. That's how he provides an easy yoke and a light burden. And so in the midst of our Christian life together, especially as we consider his suffering and his death for us, those are words that we have to take as more than just context. They are words to believe. We have to believe it or none of the work that he has done for us ultimately matters because we are separated from him, aliens to righteousness, and condemned to suffering. But in Christ, in that good shepherd who has done all things for you and your salvation, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. You are fully provided for by a good Lord and a faithful Savior. And so believe the words of the good shepherd and then come to him. Come to him that you might have life more abundant and free than anything you could ever know because he is a good shepherd because we will have no want in him. And that's true forever. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the blessing of the salvation that is ours in your Son. We are thankful for your powerful works of your arm on our behalf, an arm that is personified in Christ. Father, we are thankful for the invitation to come and to rest and to be given to you, to one who is gentle and lowly in heart and has shown it in everything, even the death of the cross. And so, Lord, we pray, as those who claim you as both Savior and Lord, may we be given to that kind of proclamation, to that good newsing, to that gospelizing of all around us, to behold God. Behold your God. Behold what he has done. Behold what he has promised. See it. See it in the life of a good shepherd who has cared for us in every way. And might we heed that invitation then to come, to believe. Father, if those are, there are those here tonight who haven't, who have not come to you to find life full and free, in repenting of all of their sins and knowing eternal life in you, Father, work that tonight. May today be the day of that salvation. May today be the day of that kind of yoke, that kind of rest. So we thank you, Lord, for a yoke that is easy and a burden is light. Thank you for the price given to provide that for us. Thank you for the Christ whom we love, who loves us with an undying love. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen. Let's